0: Well, good morning, everyone. Good morning. It's great to see you here this morning. How's everybody doing? Good Getting used to the heat of the summer here. Fourth of July is coming up next week. Fantastic. Come on, it's already hot. Don't tell me. I'm actually coming up on my first year anniversary being here in the wonderful state of Texas. so so you guys ought to all tell me what goes on on the 4th of July around here, okay? So don't do it right now, but I, I want to know what happens around the 4th of July so I can figure out what all the fun things to do. We have friends and family that are coming in, and so I want to make sure I jump into what's going on here. All right, if you've got your Bibles, turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. We've been looking at this passage here to start with, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 11. Can we say this scripture out loud with me? Say it with me. Here we go. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up. We've been doing this series called Community Where You and I Belong. We've been talking about how God has created us to need each other. Like it or not, God created you that way. God didn't create us as hermits, as those who live our lives on our own. God created us to need each other. And uh, so we need to learn how to live life together. As a matter of fact, God said right from the beginning in Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, it's not good that man should live alone. The problem, though, is I think all of us, we tend to fall into the trap of where we are trying to live our life alone. Either intentionally or unintentionally, we keep falling into this same trap of living our life alone. We've been talking over the last couple of weeks of how the re- some of the reasons why we tend to live our lives that way alone. I think one of the major reasons why we continually fall into this trap is because of the conflict that happens as soon as we try to interact with other people. You all know just as soon as we try to interact, there's conflict that happens in relationships that way. How many of you say that you've ever experienced conflict in relationships? Let me see your hand. All right, if the person beside you is not raising their hand, kind of give them a little elbow. <laughs> How many of you have ever experienced rejection in relationships? Any, any rejection there? How many of you have ever experienced unmet expectations in relationships here? How many of you have ever experienced hurt in a relationship? If you've lived just a couple minutes here on this planet, then you've experienced conflict in relationships. I'm going ask you a couple more questions, um, because how many of you would say, that you love, you absolutely love black licorice. How many say you love black licorice? Raise your hands. Anybody here? Marilyn, this is for you, all right? I did Now, how many would say you hate black licorice? Me, you can't stand black licorice. How many would say... You love the Longhorns. Any of you that love the Longhorns here? How many would say you absolutely cannot stand the Longhorns? (laughs) How many would say that you care absolutely nothing about football? It doesn't make a difference at at all, all right? Um, How many would say that you like to open your presents on Christmas morning? How many of you prefer to open your presents on Christmas Eve? All right. Now, how many of you think that you need to be to everything five to 10 minutes early? Raise your hand. And how many of you think it's okay to be 10 to 15 minutes late for everything and you're still on time? I noticed how the auditorium filled up about five minutes ago. Now, I want you to think about that because this morning, you're surrounded by people who you are in conflict with. Isn't that interesting? You're surrounded, you're sitting by people that you're actually in conflict with. Some of you are married, (laughs) Um, to somebody you're in conflict with. The question becomes, what is it that makes conflict so difficult? Because like I said, we just, we're, surrounded by, we're surrounded by conflict here this morning, right? Some of you like licorice and some of you don't. Some of you like the Longhorns and some of you don't. All, const, we're constantly surrounded by conflict. So what makes conflict so difficult? Look at this in James chapter 4, verse 1. It says, What is causing the quarrels and fights among you? Don't they come from the evil desires at war within you? You want what you don't have, so you scheme and kill to get it. You are jealous of what others have, but you can't get it. So you fight and wage war to take it away from them. Yet you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. And even when you ask, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong. You want only what will give you pleasure. Now think of what the Apostle James is describing here because when my desires are different from your desires and when I don't get what I want, that's when conflict arises and that's when life begins to get difficult very quickly. And so when there's differences, when there's misunderstandings, when there is unmet expectations, when there's poor communications, when there's hurt feelings, when there's pride, when there's jealousy, when there's selfishness, these things are going to cause conflict then in our relationships. This past Wednesday, we had a really interesting meeting with a couple of different families and individuals who are really kind of struggling with this two families, two churches coming together. And it was a really good conversation. It was, it was a lot of great input and, and that was discussed in, in that, in that in that get-together. And and one of the things I think it's important for you to know from me is that I see it. I get it. I understand it. This bringing of two churches together, this bringing of two families together is challenging. It's difficult. It's going to highlight those differences. It's going to highlight miscommunications and misunderstandings. It's going it's to highlight unmet expectations. And, and I realize that when that happens, that can create a lot of hurt Within you. So I want you to know that I understand. I, I get it. I hear that, and my heart breaks for you. For those of you who are feeling this conflict is just so great. The differences are so great. My unmet expectation, my, my heart grieves for you and hurts for you because I understand. And I want you to know that if there's any way that I have helped incur that in your own heart, any way that I have disappointed, I want to just apologize you right here this morning. We're talking about conflict here this morning, and I just want to apologize to any way that I've done it. I want to ask for your forgiveness for any way that I have added hurt into your heart as two families are coming together, two churches are coming together. I know this is difficult, and the crazy thing is, is that we were talking about doing this series several months ago. And talking about relationships and talking about community and coming together. And I know if your heart is hurting, if you're, if you're feeling conflict, that just the talk of relationships, the talk of community, the talk about conflict can incite even more hurt inside of your heart. But you need to understand this. We, t- we were talking about this two months ago. And it has nothing to do with what's currently maybe going on in your, own, in your own heart. And I think at times... Unfortunately, pastors and preachers can use the pulpit to kind of slap people around. And you need to understand that that is spiritual abuse. And I don't ever want to give you that impression that I'm trying to speak down to you and use the pulpit to try to discipline you or correct you or make you feel guilty or make you feel condemned because that is not at all the heart of God, which is the reason why I'm sitting on this chair this morning. Because we're talking about conflict here this morning. And I didn't want to stand behind a pulpit and give you the impression that I'm using the Bible to slap you around. I do not want to give you the impression that I was on a different playing field than you are. I'm in this together with you. I am here, and I'm with. I'm committed to this. I'm committed to working through the relationships, through the challenge of bringing two churches and bringing new people into a church, the, the, the challenge of bringing two families together and then adding to that family. That's a, not necessarily an easy thing, and so I want you to know that I'm committed to you. I'm committed to walking this thing through because here's the thing. I believe God brought us together. I believe that you're here for a purpose. I believe God brought these two ch- churches together. And I believe with all my heart that we're better together than we could ever be apart. We are better together than we could ever be apart. And I know that I know that I know that God brought me here all the way from Wisconsin to be your pastor. And so I'm committed to this. I'm with you in all of this. I'm praying through this, and I, I'm committed to walking through the challenges that are just a part of expand, the expansion of family. And so can we talk about conflict here this morning? <laughs> yes. I know it's not what we usually want to do. Actually, statistics show that 89% of the population hates conflict and will do everything to avoid conflict. So chances are the vast majority would rather not talk about conflict, and we'd rather talk about something else. So we're going to talk about sex this morning. (laughs) I'm joking. (laughs) Welcome to church, everybody. All right, we'll start with conflict first, all right? Because here's the thing, if you're married, if you're married, you've already experienced conflict, right? Come on. And I hate to be the bearer of bad news, you're going to experience more conflict, You know, it's just the nature of relationships. If you have kids, you've experienced conflict, and you're going to experience more conflict as you're trying to raise your children. If you have friends in your life, you've experienced conflict, and you're going to continue to experience conflict with those friends. Here is the thing. All relationships have conflict. All relationships have conflict. But the important thing for you to remember is that good, healthy, godly relationships work through those conflicts. Look at this in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 8. It says, love never gives up. Love cares more for others than for self. Love doesn't want what it doesn't have. Love doesn't strut. It doesn't have a swelled head. It doesn't force itself on others. It isn't always me first. It doesn't fly off the handle. It doesn't keep score of the sins of others. It doesn't revel when others grovel. It takes pleasure in the flowering of truth. It puts up with anything. It trusts God always. Always looks for the best. Never looks for the back for never never looks back, but keeps going to the end. Love never dies. Now, how many of you have heard this passage in First Corinthians thirteen before? How many have heard it? Chances are you probably heard it at a wedding, right? How many of you have heard this passage at a wedding before? Let me see your hands. Here's the interesting thing about this passage here, because this passage has absolutely nothing to do with marriage. Now, sure, we can apply it to marriage, that is for sure. But when the Apostle Paul was writing this passage, he wasn't writing it to couples. He was writing it to a church that was experiencing intense conflict. There was divisions and arguments in and, and how marriage should, be, should happen and divorce and remarriage and what do you do with that in the context of a believers coming together. They're arguing over that. They were arguing. There's divisions of how to discipline and deal with an immoral believer within the church. There were divisions and arguments even how to conduct a Sunday service like this. I mean, can you speak in tongues in a service like this? And if so, How is that done? Can people prophesy in a service like this? And if so, how is it done? And how's the music supposed to be done? Can we sing songs? And how many songs can we sing? And can people speak and teach and preach? And if so, how many people can do it? Is it one person? Is it three people? Is it 10 people that can get up and start speaking in a Sunday service? And to top all of it off, this church was filled with Jews and Gentiles. And if you remember, before Jesus came, Jews would not at all ever, ever, ever associate with Gentiles, let alone worship together. And so here was a church that had all these differences, and they were arguing over all of these stuff. And so 1 Corinthians, the book of 1 Corinthians, Apostle Paul He's beginning to one by one address these different issues of conflict that was happening within the church and to help them to show them God's ways in addressing these different things. And and he ends up leading this whole conversation to one point, which is 1 Corinthians 13 verse 1, which says this, If I speak with human eloquence and angelic ecstasy but don't love, I'm nothing but the creaking of a rusty gate. If I speak God's word with power, Revealing all his mysteries and making everything plain as day. And, and if I have faith, it says, to a mountain jump, and it jumps, but I don't love, I'm nothing. If I give everything I own to the poor and even go to the stake to be burned as a martyr, but I don't love, I've gotten nowhere. So no matter what I say, what I believe, and what I do, I'm bankrupt without love. In the midst of conflict, you understand, in the midst of conflict, the Apostle Paul says that love is what makes the difference. Love is the thing that will bring us together in the midst of differences, in the midst of conflicts that's going on. Because even if I'm right, and we love to be right, don't we? That's the essence of what a conflict is. I'm not getting my way, and I want things to be done this way. I'm not getting that. And so now there's conflict. But even when I'm right, if I do not love, I gain nothing. I gain nothing here. The problem, though, that I think in our culture today, our culture has stolen what love really means because our culture today says that love has, love has become synonymous with agreement. Think about that. Our culture today says that love, love is synonymous with agreement. So if you don't agree with me, then you don't really love me. And if I don't agree with you, you don't, I don't really love you. It's in, the, it's in the political and social landscape of our culture today. It's what you hear all the time. Love is equivalent to agreement. And if you don't love, if you don't agree with me, then you don't love me. But think about that. Because I think it's foolish for us to think that we can't love someone and disagree with them at the same time. It happens in parenting all the time, doesn't it? <laughs> Those of you who are parents... You know what that means. I mean how many of your parents have had to tell your kids no? <laughs> right? Your kid wants to go play out in your street, out in the street and they say, uh, no, you cannot go play out in the street. We do it all the time when it comes to marriage. We do it in the same thing, we do it all the time when it comes in marriage. How many of you how many of you those of you who are married have had conflict in your marriage before? all right? We disagree in our marriage. We disagree with the one who you love the most. We still disagree. And with your, be- with your best friends, we do the same thing. As a matter of fact, it's your best friends who you've been able to disagree with, fight against each other, wrestle with something, work it out, and then you love them even more. Those are your best friends or the ones that you've been able to work through conflict over time. See, love and disagreement are not automatically opposites. They're actually, if you think about it, they're kind of dancing partners. Because the reality is if you really love someone, then you're going to help them see things from a different perspective. You're going to help them see things through their anger and through their hurt, through their prejudice, through their biases. You're going to help them see things from a different perspective. Proverbs 27 verse 6 says wounds from a friend can be trusted but an enemy multiplies kisses think about that wounds from a friend can be trusted someone once said that if your enemy is the first one to point out your flaws then you don't really have any good friends if your enemies are the ones that point out your flaws You really don't have any really good friends. And so the reality is, if you love someone, then you're going to help them see things from a different perspective. And so one of the problems that we have to contend with when we're in relationship, whether it's marriage or parenting or friends or in a church context, one of the things that we have to fight against and address is that love has become synonymous with agreement. And that's just not true. But another problem that we have to contend with in our culture is that the D word has become an option to deal with conflict. You know what I'm talking about? The D word is divorce. Divorce. Our culture is surrounded by divorce. And I'm not just talking in the nature of marriage. Yes, it's so strong. Two-thirds of first marriages end in divorce. Those are statistics that are in our culture. Divorce is is running rampant in marriage, but it's gotten into how we address conflicts in, in our lives and in our relationships We have this out, and so if I don't get exactly what I want from this relationship, if I don't get my way, then I always have this out card, my D card that I can lay on the table to try to deal with this conflict. Listen, folks, if we're going to actually relate with one another and we're going to work through these differences, then the D card can't be an option. We have to be able to work through these differences. We've got to be committed enough and love each other enough that we're going to work through the hurt, work through the differences, work through the misunderstandings, work through the miscommunications, work through those unmet expectations. And I think there's three very practical ways that we can do this. Number one, by acting and not reacting. By acting and not reacting. Romans 12 verse 21 says, don't let evil conquer you but conquer evil by doing good. Don't let evil conquer you, but conquer evil by doing good. What an incredibly powerful statement. Wouldn't you agree? But here's the thing. I think most of us, we do the exact opposite. When we get hurt, when we're not getting our way, we get defensive. And as a result, we react in hostility. In Proverbs 15, verse 18, it says, a hot-tempered man stirs up dissension. See, when we react, we're just adding fuel to the fire. But look at the end of the verse. The hot-tempered man stirs up dissension, but a patient man calms a quarrel. A patient man calms a quarrel. Look, at there's, there's different ways that we can handle conflict. There's different ways that you can handle a disagreement in your marriage or with your kids or with your friends. There's different ways And here's the thing that's so important for us to understand. God does not give me the freedom to respond in sin just because you you respond out of sin. God does not give me the permission to act in hostility just because you are hostile towards me. God does not give me the permission to respond out of rage and anger just because you come at me with rage and anger. As a matter of fact, when I do the right thing, when I act instead of react... And when I do this in the power of the Holy Spirit, no matter what the other person does, it actually settles the atmosphere of the disagreement. It brings emotions down. So we're not just reacting, we're acting. And then a second way that we can work through the differences and misunderstandings and unmet expectations is number two, by talking and not walking. By talking and not walking. Ephesians 4 Verse 26 and 27 says, And don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you are still angry, for anger gives a foothold to the devil. Now, look what the Apostle Paul's describing here. He says, he says Anytime we refuse to talk, anytime we allow anger, to reside in our life and in the midst of those conversations and we allow anger to rule there. Anytime we do that, we're actually inviting the devil into our lives and into the situation. We're giving the devil a foothold. How many of you have heard that verse before? Don't let the sun go down on your anger. How many of you have heard that before? I remember in I's first year of marriage... And I have no idea what the issue was, but we had some sort of big, all out disagreement, some sort of conflict that lasted through the day and into the night. I don't remember what it was. All I remember was I was right and she was wrong. <laughs> and I remembered the hostility of my emotions. You know, you, we know that feeling, right? You know, that hurt and that anger that just is, re, is residing there. And I remember going to bed, lying on our beds, and we were at the furthest edges of our bed, as far away as we could get from each other. And all of a sudden, this thought came into my head. It's our first year of marriage. You're setting a precedent. And I was thinking, you know what? The Bible says don't let your son go down on your anger. This right now, we're setting a precedent for the rest of our marriage? Are we gonna allow this thing to continue to fester overnight? Or Russ, are you going to do something even though you think you're right? The problem was is I couldn't get my mouth to speak. I was paralyzed, and I'm still fuming with anger. My whole body was still enraged by what was going on. Even though my head was saying, and my spirit was saying, Russ, you need to do something. You need to ask for forgiveness. I couldn't get anything to move, except for my little pinky. (laughs) Craziest thing. I I couldn't get anything else to move, but my little pinky, I had control over. And so I started moving my pinky... Across the bed. I'm not joking. This is... And pretty soon, my pinky found Courtney. And when my pinky finally touched her, everything just... It just released from me. Then my mouth could talk. And I could ask for forgiveness. When we don't do that, folks, when we don't... if When we allow anger to reside in us... When we refuse to talk and instead we just, we bottle it up. In essence, we walk away from it without it being resolved. We're giving an entry point for the devil to play havoc in those relationships. We've got to be committed enough. We've got to love each other enough to work through the differences. The D word cannot be an option on the table. That's not a card you can play. And if that's a card that's in your back pocket, I'd encourage you to rip it up, tear it up, throw it in the fire, and never, ever, ever see it or use it again. Because let me tell you, God's grace is with you to walk through. God's grace is always there to walk you through those issues, those, those differences, those disagreements, those hurt that you're going through. And then here's a third way that we can work through those issues, and that's by focusing on the good and not the bad. By focusing on the good and not the bad, Philippians chapter 4 verse 8 says, And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Here's the thing that we need to get through our thick skulls, and that is this. Every person in your life, every single person in your life has good things that they do and they have bad things that they do. Even you. Every single person in your life has good things that they do and they have bad things they do. That's the reality. So the question is gonna be, what are you gonna put your focus on? What are you gonna put your focus on? There was an interesting interview several years ago um, with Billy Graham's wife, Ruth. And in this interview, they were asking her about all the time that her husband spent on the road. He would spend like 17 weeks on the road. And I think the reporter was trying to incite something and stir something up within her. And so they were asking questions like, did you ever resent his schedule? Did you ever get tired of him being on the road? I want you to listen to her response. She said this. Five months of the year with Billy Graham is better than 12 months with any other man. Isn't that interesting? Of all the things she could focus on, but look at what she did. She focused on the five months that she had with him versus the seven months that she didn't have with him. We have a choice, folks. You have a choice of what you're going to put your focus on. You have a choice to put your focus on the many great things going on in that person's life. Or you can put your focus on the few bad things that are happening in that person's life. We have a choice. And that's why no matter what else is happening in culture, no matter what culture is telling you, no matter what your emotions or the family environment that you grew up in, We need to allow God to reform in us what love truly is. We need to let God define it to us, not what you've experienced or what culture says. We need to actually allow God to define. So look at this again, 1 Corinthians 13, and see how God defines love. He says, love never gives up. We could stop right there, couldn't we? Love never gives up. It's not love sometimes gives up. Love gives up in certain situations. No, what does it say? Love what? Love never gives up. That's the nature of love. Love cares more for others than for self. Ouch. That one should hurt, doesn't it? That one should hurt. Love cares more for others than for self. This is the problem with so many of our disagreements and arguments and the things that flare up in our relationships is I want what I want. I'm right And I deserve to have it my way, right? And that's what flares up inside us. And I want to prove that and I want to make sure I get it. But love cares more for others than for self. Love doesn't want what it doesn't have. Love doesn't want what it doesn't have. It doesn't focus on the things that you don't have and how this relationship isn't working. It doesn't focus on those things. Love doesn't strut. It doesn't have a swelled head. And In other words, pride can't be a part of this relationship. There's got to be humility in there. There's got to be brokenness in. I've got to be willing to move my little pinky and more to reach across the table and across the bed. I've got to, I've got to initiate. It doesn't, it, doesn't ha- it doesn't have a swelled head. It doesn't force itself. It doesn't force itself on others. It isn't always me first. Whew. These are hard, Right? because that's what we want to. I want it my way. But it doesn't, Love doesn't force itself on us. It isn't always me first. It doesn't fly off the handle. I don't have the right to spew venom with my mouth. I don't have the right to throw up verbally over you just because I'm hurting and I'm wounded. I don't have that right. Love doesn't do that. Love doesn't fly off on, uh, the handle here. Love doesn't keep score of the sins of others. None of us want other people to keep score of our problems and our sins, right? Love doesn't do that with others. We don't hold grudges. We're not going to hold that against other people. We're going to be quick to forgive, quick to release, quick to let go. That's what love is. Love doesn't revel when others grovel. It takes pleasure in the flowering of truth. I don't push you down when you're down. That's not what love does. It wants truth to reign in the relationship. Love puts up with anything. <laughs> really? Really? That's where love puts up with anything. Love trusts God always. This is where it all turns, this is where it all works. Because the reality will be people will hurt you intentionally or unintentionally. People will reject you intentionally or unintentionally. People people will mess things up. People will say stupid things. I will disappoint you intentionally or unintentionally. That's the, the nature of people. We're going to disappoint each other. We're going to hurt each other. That's the nature. So our trust isn't necessarily in people being perfect. Our trust Has only to be in God, knowing that even if you hurt me, God will heal the hurt in my heart. And so that's why I can love, I can love, and I can continue to open my heart to other people. I can continue to risk in relationship because I know God will heal my heart. I put my trust in God. Love always looks for the best. This one's huge. Instead of assuming the worst... Instead of assuming that the other person did this mischievously or maliciously, love is innocent. There's an innocence about love. It assumes the best. Love never looks back but keeps going to the end. Love never dies. See, this is the God kind of love. This is the love that's able to help us work through the differences and the conflicts that we encounter in the midst of relationship. And here's the thing. In and of ourselves, it's impossible for you to love this way. If that's how I'd left it here this morning, you would go away feeling guilty and condemned because you're not loving this way. But let me tell you something. It's impossible for you. Our human nature is just too selfish. We want what we want when we want it. And that's our sin nature inside us. But here's what I can tell you. The more you allow God's love to work in you, the more you allow God to love you unconditionally and you experience his love... That's then when you're able to love others this way. When you know you have been forgiven by God and God loves you in spite of what you've done, that God loves you in spite of what you're doing, that his love never fails, it never changes, there's nothing that you can do to earn it or to change it. When that becomes a revelation to you, that gets in your heart, then that's how we start loving other people. There's a book By Larry Crabb called Becoming a True Spiritual Community, where he kind of brings all of these things together. He puts it in the context of a local church. I want to read a couple passages from this. Listen to this. The formation of community is the intricate, patient, painful work of the Holy Spirit. (laughs) (laughs) Let me suggest to you that this is what's happening in our lives. Whether you've been a part of this church for a long time, whether you're part of these two churches to come together, or whether you're here for the very first time here this morning, God wants to put you in a spiritual community. (laughs) But the process of linking arms and coming together is an intricate, patient, painful work of the Holy Spirit because we got to deal with other people. I think that's what the writer of Hebrews had in mind. He told us to never stop getting together with other Christians. And when we do get together, to stay and do things that stir a flame into fire, to rouse the life of God's Spirit is placed within us so that we can go on through dark nights and pleasant mornings with our eyes fixed on unseen reality. He told us to consider, to think hard about what all that means. Unfortunately, even in the church context, people are using the, the, D, the D card to be able to address uh, in conflict. Or they say, I just don't want anything to do with this anymore. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to forsake church. I'm gonna, I can just do church by myself. This is too hard. This is too difficult. Listen, folks, I'm going to tell you again. That's a ploy of the devil to get you isolated and alone. Because when you're out there by yourself, you're easy pickings. You won't grow spiritually, and you'll get lost in what God is doing in the kingdom. This is a spiritual community. I want to talk about what it means for us to turn our chairs toward each other. And pour out the life in our hearts into our brothers and sisters and let them pour into us. It's sometimes more difficult to receive than to give. In spiritual communities, people do both. No one can rightly plead poor self-esteem or damaged background or difficult circumstances as an excuse for ungodly living and disconnecting from a spiritual community. Brokenness is a condition, one that is always there, inside, beneath the surface, carefully hidden for as long as we can keep a facade in place. Unfortunately, so many people get hurt within church. So many people get hurt within church and they they struggle moving on through life because this church hurt me. And you may be one here this morning where well, that's your case. Church, just being in church, it just hurts. It's too painful to be there. But he's talking about here that that's just part of it. And something amazing happens. He goes and says, when, when we turn our chairs to face, the first thing we see is a terrible fact. We're all struggling. We're all struggling. When we actually start interacting with each other, we realize that we're all struggling. When you became a Christian, you packed your bags for Bermuda, but your plane landed in Iceland. (laughs) Isn't that a good way to say it? You thought this was going to be great. There weren't going to be any issues or problems. You left the world filled with problems, but I'm trying to get into a spiritual community, and whoa! look at what's happening here. We moderns tend to think of our spiritual journey as a God-directed adventure Until something goes seriously wrong or until certain problems persist past the time, we give God to take them away. Then we think about solving the problems more than about finding God in the midst of them. Oh boy, you ought to write that one down. That one's worth the price of admission right there. We focus on the wrong thing. We focus on trying to solve the problems versus actually finding God in the midst of them. Many voices in the church, perhaps most of them, speak to that desire. Here's what to do. Here's the seminar to attend. Here's the counselor to see. Here's the principles to follow. Here are the rules to keep. Here are the biblically exegeted promises to claim. Only a few voices direct us to worship or call us to a new level of trust. Only a few invite us to experience spiritual conversations in a spiritual community. We need to dive into the unmanageable, messy world of relationships to admit our failure, to identify our tensions, to explore our shortcomings. We need to become the answer to our Lord's prayer that we become one the way he and the Father are one. With conviction, I speak of a spiritual community as a gathering of people who experience a kind of togetherness that only the Holy Spirit makes possible, who move in good directions and want to because the Spirit is at work. Integrity is the first step. We must admit to our community, to our spiritual friend, a spiritual director, who we are at our worst. A spiritual community, a church, is full of broken people who turn their chairs toward each other because they know they cannot make it alone. We are not our problems. We are not our wounds. We are not our sins. We are persons of radical worth and unrevealed beauty. The passion to protect ourselves, to keep our wounds out of sight, where no one can make them worse, is the strongest passion in our hearts. In unspiritual community, we make certain that we're safe from people and never enjoy safety with people. The difference between spiritual and unspiritual community is not whether conflict exists, but is rather in our attitude toward it and our approach to handling it. When conflict is seen as an opportunity to draw more fully on spiritual resources, we have the makings of a spiritual community. Listen, folks this is what I believe God is doing. He's doing that in your life. He's doing it in my life. He's doing it in this region. We may not have here in this church context, Jews and Gentiles trying to come together, but we have Texans and Louisianans and Germans. and We have Coloradans and Wisconsinites that are here. We have people from Michigan and we have people that are Anglo and Latino here in this place. We have all of these different cultures coming together. We have an Austin culture and a hill country culture that's intermingling. All these things, all these differences that have brought our lives here together. But here's what I know. I know God is behind it. And his prayer, Jesus' one of last, one of last prayers is that we would become one because the devil does not want that to happen. The devil doesn't want you to have a successful marriage. He doesn't want you to have a, a, a thriving relationship with your kids and, and have great friendships. And he doesn't want churches to be successful and, and have these positive relationships. The devil wants to destroy it. And he's work, he works hard at that. But always remember this it's not people that the battle's against. It is what Apostle Paul says, we fight against the, de- the demonic, those, those high places in the demonic realm that are influencing people's lives. Our fight is not against flesh and blood. It's not against people. But it's behind what the devil wants to do in destroying people's life. But here's what you also need to know. God is working to bring us together. And he's bringing us together to be a light that shines in a culture that doesn't understand love. We need to experience it first so that we then can love others. This is the mission that we are on and we're a part of this. I want to ask you just to close your eyes here. And I want you to just think through the relationships in your own life. And you may have come here this morning and And like I mentioned, just talking about relationships and conflict is stirring what's going on in your own life. Maybe your friendships, things that are happening with the people that are around you, those people that you thought were friends. Maybe it's happening in your own marriage. Maybe it's happening with your kids or with your parents. Maybe it's happening within the church context. But I want you to, right here and right now, remember what all of this is about. And in the midst of disagreements, in the midst of disappointments, in the midst of unmet expectations, in the midst of hurt, and and all that's happening in those relationships, we have a choice. You have a choice. You can either allow anger and hurt to reside there, and you hold on to your right to be right and your right to have it your own way. But right now, You can let it go and let God come in and heal the hurt, the wounds, the pain, the violation that's happened, to let him restore innocence and purity to your heart again and let him reconnect you in healthy, godly relationships. Father, I pray for everyone here. We're all connected in relationships. We're all experiencing relationships and every relationship has conflict. So Father, I pray for every hurting and aching heart that feels like they just want to give up. They just want to run. They want to hide. They want to disconnect because it's just too difficult. It's just too hard to work through those things. Lord, I pray right now by the power of the Holy Spirit that you would come, that your spirit of truth your spirit of revelation, your spirit of knowledge would enter into the confusion of those thoughts and the confusion of those emotions. And that, Father, that you would heal the violation. You would heal those vows that say never again, never again am I going to trust. That, God, you would heal that to every one of our core. That we wouldn't continue to be reacting in relationships but God, that we would be able to love unconditionally. And so, Father, I pray that you would come and just grab a hold of each person as only you can do today. And Lord, I pray that you just put them in a big hug, that your arms would wrap around them, you'd, you'd draw them close to yourself here this morning, that they would feel your heartbeat, that they'd be overwhelmed by how great, how wide and deep is your love that God, that they would experience that in the midst of the pain and the hurt, in the midst of the disappointment and unmet expectation, that God, your love would conquer it all. That, That God, that your love would conquer the fear, that perfect love casts out fear. Father, I pray that God, that you would just grab a hold of each one of our hearts and our minds. God, that your peace would overwhelm us in the midst of all these relational challenges. Thank you, Father, that we're not just victims here in this world. Thank you, God, that you are with us, not just at Christmas time when we celebrate Emmanuel, but God, you are with us every moment of the day. And so, Father, shine your light of truth in the midst of that darkness, in the midst of that hurt, and in the midst of that pain. We're going to take communion here together. And when you think about it, in all of our differences, in all the differences that can happen even in a local church setting, one thing that we can come behind is just who Jesus is. The Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one can come to the Father except through him. This is our rallying point. This is our point that we can celebrate together. And communion is such a practical, tangible way. Jesus said that when we come together, remember him. And so in this place, let's do that here together. The Bible describes for us that on the night Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body broken for you. Why don't you let that settle in your heart just for a second? Because Jesus willingly gave his life. His body was literally broken so that we can experience reconciliation with God and with mankind. That there's healing between our relationships, between us and God and other people that his body was broken, so that is possible. It's not about you and mustering up a willpower to do it. It's about you stepping in to what Jesus has already provided. After supper, he took the cup and he said, this is my blood of the new covenant, which is poured out, shed for you for the remittance, the forgiveness of your sins. (laughs) I don't know about you, but I am so glad that God forgives me. And if God forgives me, if he forgives you, which he has, can we not extend that same forgiveness to others? It's at this table that we forgive ourselves and we ask God to forgive us and we extend forgiveness then to others. We celebrate open communion here which means this, you don't have to be a member here to to participate in communion. This table wasn't set by me or by this church, it was set by Jesus himself. And so you don't have to be a member here at all to celebrate this. All across the world today, people are celebrating communion, celebrating who Jesus is. And so I invite you to do that. If you don't know whether or not you have a relationship with God, you can accomplish that right here, right now. So often we can come to church and you can go to church all your life and still not make any decision. Your parents could have made the decision for you, but you never have made that decision for yourself. The Bible says that we'll just confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart. God raised him from the dead. In other words, I believe that Jesus is who he says he is. And I invite him into my life to rule, to reign, to lead me. I let go of control and I give him control. When we do that, the Bible says that he's faithful and just to forgiveness our sins and that all who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You can do that right here and right now, right where you are. And then when you come and take communion, this becomes a celebration of that very fact. There's a station in front of each of these two sections it's going to happen that ushers will help you exit your rows but you're going to exit to your right starting with the front row you'll circle around take a piece of bread dip it in the juice and then circle back on your left take it to your chair and right there in that moment there settle those issues Settle the issue with god Settle the issue with others let's do it here together